the 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 0111911. So, a word about animals before the music begins. Every night I uh, sign off with you. And I tell Oliver, my cat, to get out of my chair because I'm coming home. And Oliver and I have been together now for yeah, about 10 years. He's 15 going on 16. There's been a saying around my house, whether we had 17 animals or just two, that when an animal is getting ready to move on, I just say, well, he or she is packing his bags. And I wouldn't say Oliver is at that stage yet, but he is barely eating. So I don't think he's um, moving on, but I think he's deciding what he's going to be taking with him. And so I'm giving him fluids. I'm injecting him with fluids three times a week to try to keep his system healthy. There are all sorts of medical advances for animals that have evolved over the years. And we're going to try to uh, make it through as much this year as possible. So we'll see how things go. I tell you that story on background to explain the story I really want to tell you because if you have an animal and if you've been in this situation before, you know that uh, no matter what else is going on in your world, you just kind of, you're thinking about your animal and you're thinking about your time together and you're wearing that clock. And I saw this story and I have just been smiling all day. I just think this is, this is a story about a couple in Pittsburgh Clayton Law pulled $4,000 out of his joint savings account last month. He and his wife were having a fence installed at their home in Pittsburgh. And the workers asked to be paid in cash. Side note here, I'm sure the IRS is reading this story with interest. And those workers may have some explaining to do. Anyway, the workers asked to be paid in cash. After returning from the bank with a sealed envelope full of $100 and $50 bills, Law set the money on a kitchen counter, intending to stash it away. But he never got the chance. 30 minutes later, Law was stunned to find tiny pieces of chewed up bills strewn across the floor. In a panic, he hollered for his wife, Carrie. He was shouting, Cecil ate $4,000. Carrie recalled about that December 8th afternoon. I ran in thinking I had to have heard him wrong, but when I saw the mess, there was no doubt. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Cecil is a seven-year-old golden doodle that has lived with the law since he was a puppy. 
For five years, he had the run of the house until the arrival of the lost son. Quote, Cecil's a goofy guy, and he's very particular. You could leave a steak on the table, and he wouldn't touch it. Because he's not food-motivated, said Kerry. But apparently, he is money-motivated. Cecil had not been interested in things on the counter in the past, nor had he torn up items that were up there. He's never done anything bad before. So we were more shocked than angry, said Clayton. We couldn't believe it. We looked at each other and said, what are we going to do? (laughs) While Cecil skulked away to take a nap on the living room sofa... The laws called their vet to see if they should bring him in to be checked out for eating a stack of cash. Given his size of 100 pounds, we were told as long as he was eating and drinking, going to the bathroom, he would be fine. If he were a small dog, this would have been a different story. He and Carrie then decided to salvage what they could. He's got a picture of this. They gathered up the torn bills and were able to piece together about $1,500. The wife then called the bank and told a manager what had happened. Here's the kicker. Quote, I felt like a kid who said the dog ate my homework, she said. I was surprised when they said they had seen similar things happen multiple times. That maybe dogs like the particular smells on money. This just didn't happen once. It happens multiple times. The manager explained that the bank would take back any bills that had been taped together with a full serial number visible on the front and back. The Bureau of Engraving and Printing also generally requires that at least half of each bill is salvageable. Cecil was sitting on a sofa full of $2,500, and we knew there was only one way to get that money back. You know where this is going. Later that night, the dog vomited up a couple of torn hundreds. But he and Carrie would have to be patient and summer their humor to retrieve the rest of the bills. The husband intrepidly donned a mask and gloves. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture this. He puts on a mask and gloves, grabbed a bag of plastic bags, and accompanied the dog on his backyard rounds over the next two days as the dog relieved himself. He and Carrie then sifted through the dog's droppings and washed the torn bits of bills with dish soap in a utility sink. And here's the line of the article. The wife says, I never thought I'd be able to say I've laundered money. But there's apparently a first time for everything. Can you picture this? You have $4,000 in cash. You leave it on a counter. And your dog comes by and eats it. But you've got to get it back. It's $4,000. So you've got to follow him around and wait for him to do his business. And you've got to clean up the business. And you've got to dump it in a sink. And you've got to go through and find scraps of money and clean it up. Here we were waiting for the dog to go to the bathroom so we could get the rest of the money. We had to laugh at the absurdity of it. Um, They posted their adventures on Instagram. Already, the video of them washing money and piecing the currency together like a jigsaw puzzle has accumulated more than 175,000 likes on Instagram. 
They said, we couldn't be mad at the dog. He's so lovable. People often tell us there's a human trapped inside of this. Husband and wife were able to retrieve about $1,800 from Cecil's backyard deposits, boosting their total to $3,550. Isn't this amazing? The dog eats $4,000. They're able to piece back $3,550. The wife said she uh, plans to send the washed remnants they couldn't piece together to the Treasury Department in the hope they might get some of it back. If not, the laws say it's the price they must pay for a family story they can pass down to their son. And, of course, they have kept some of the torn-up bills so they can create artwork and frame it to commemorate the entire situation. If you're an animal lover, you're smiling. If you're not, I may have lost you by now. I don't care. It made me smile. I wanted to share it with you on this Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. When it's not always raining, there'll be days like this. When there's no one complaining, there'll be days like this. Everything falls into place like the flick of a switch. Well, my mama told me there'll be days like this. It is 3.15. I'm Dave Congleton welcoming you to Hometown Radio. Hope you're well. This weather is amazing. Beautiful, 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 intermixed with rain. I love it, love it, love it. Glad to be with you. Glad to have you with us. We're here all the way till 7 o'clock. After news at the bottom of the hour, Wendy Lewis checks in from Echo. They have had an amazing year in 2023 helping the homeless up in North County. Let's uh, get the good news and share that with you. At 4.05, Sandy Boo is back with us. We're going to talk a little bit about the status of health care in the county, but Sandy is also going to use this opportunity to explain why she and her family are shipping out, joining the uh, migration away from California. They're going to head to Sedona, Arizona. Lance Parker at 5.05. We're going to talk about the fact that California tax revenue is expected to drop by about $6 billion over the next decade as we shift away from uh, traditional cars into more electric vehicles. But that means reduced money for transportation. So what do we do? How do we live with roads and Poor condition. We'll talk. Michael Dunn at 605 uh, talks about wealth. Wealthy people today, wealthy people from the last century. How's all that changed? It is a Dave Congleton show, always your hometown radio talk show. Quick break. When we come back, I want to update you on some local shows and local stories. All that straight ahead. Glad to be with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance With the stars up above in your eyes A fantabulous night to make romance Need the cover of... Good to have you with us on Hometown Radio. Tomorrow, I don't know if you saw the news, Taco Temple, not the one in Morro Bay, but the Taco Temple right here in San Luis Obispo, one of my favorite restaurants, is closed. It's not closing, it's closed. Nothing to do with parking. So uh, tomorrow, one of the segments we're going to do, uh, Jamie Lewis, 
uh, food critic extraordinaire is back with us, and we're going to hear from a local restaurant owner and find out what is going on with all the restaurants closing down. It's a complicated story, but we'll try to unpack it. Also, uh, Tom Costa checks in from Peak Wi-Fi. Uh, our good friend Jeff Bliss is with us as well. Uh, Friday, uh, Gary J. Freiberg, Tom Matson is going to join us, and uh, special guest actor Lou Ferrigno is going to be here in studio. Monday is our 8th anniversary broadcast. No, 8th anniversary. Hello. It's the 8th of January. It's our 32nd anniversary broadcast. (laughs) You okay, Dave? Dave's fine. Uh, We will have uh, Jeanette Trumpeter, and we will have uh, Kevin Harris from Slow Repertory Theater. And our anniversary guest this year is going to be Rini Lynn from Linz. So we just got a lot of good segments coming up. And I also remind you that if you can't listen to us live, you can always catch the podcast at 920kvc.com. I also, uh, I feel obligated to address yesterday's show for a minute. I have heard from a few of you that were not particularly happy with the 5 o'clock segment where we talked about minimum wage and the fact that in fast food restaurants in California, the uh, minimum wage is going to go up to 20 bucks an hour. Certainly a legitimate topic to discuss. And if you're opposed to that, that is certainly a legitimate position to take. Uh, let me just be diplomatic. Uh, Gordon Mullen is a good friend of this show. Uh, but I just want to make it clear that I don't agree with Gordon on this issue. And I pressed him yesterday when, in your opinion, he seemed to be stereotyping people who are of minimum wage. And I would call some of his characterization unfortunate. So even though I pressed him, I should have pressed harder. And I promise you that I will in the future. So we'll leave it at that. Parking is back in the news. We've talked a lot about parking in the downtown. And the city has assured us, now just come into the parking structures. There's going to be plenty of parking. And on Sundays, we're going to give you free parking. All right, we'll take all that. But now I'm confused. Because the city just sent out a press release that maintenance is going to begin next week on downtown parking structures. Weather permitting, construction will begin next week to repair and improve the two existing public parking structures on Palm Street. This doesn't affect Marsh Street structure, just the two Palm Street structures. Uh, We're going to be cleaning, thorough cleaning of the parking structures to enhance aesthetics, create a more welcoming environment. I'm not sure how that is done, but okay. Concrete repair to address structural issues. I think that's very important. Uh, They're going to apply protective coating to guard against environmental factors. Okay, that's fine. And we're going to paint. And this is going to cost $2 million. But here's the kicker. Uh, During construction, the parking structures will remain open. But portions may be closed off during different phases of the project. 
The work is estimated to take seven months to complete. All right, so let's do the math. That takes us into July. So the city is doing their best to uh, get us off the street and into the parking structures. And people are saying, well, there's just never any parking. Oh, no, 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 there's plenty of parking. Just come on down. And now they're, now they're saying, okay, but we're going to paint. <laughs> we're going to clean everything up. And we're going to be closing certain parts of the garages in order to do this. It just seems to be a contradiction to me. And frankly, if the rumor, if the persistent rumor is true that once the new parking structure down there on uh, Napomo and Palm opens up, if the if the rumor is true that they're just going to knock down the Palm Street structure, does it really matter whether we paint it or not? I don't know. Anyway, the mayor, uh, Erica Stewart, is going to be coming in next week. And we're going to we'll talk about parking. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about as we try to um, continue the dialogue with various city officials and county officials uh, throughout the county. And uh, Mayor Stewart will be with us a week from Friday. So we'll see. Also, uh, if you have been following uh, CalCoast News, they have uh, two local stories worth noting. One, the recall campaign against Bruce Gibson is officially underway. The clock is now ticking, and they've got a set period of time to collect a little bit more than 7,000 signatures just to get it on the ballot. And according to Veeley's reporting, if they succeed in getting the signatures, there would have to be a special election sometime this year. But as we have talked about before, not everybody gets to vote on this. The only people who would be allowed to vote would be those folks in the district as it was shaped at the time of the original election. So Craig lives in Los Osos. He can't vote. I'm in San Luis. I can't vote. You can only vote in the special election if you were in the district at the time of the original election. Uh, So we will cover that. Uh, As many of you have noted, Some of you are questioning the need for this because even if Supervisor Gibson were to be recalled, Gavin Newsom would appoint his replacement. And you're still going to have a 3-2 majority. But, you know, we'll give you plenty of time to talk about that. Also, Veeley posted a a second article, uh, more updates on the relationship between the late Supervisor Adam Hill and John Belcher and Ryan Wright Petetit. Uh, based on documents that have been released that shines a bigger spotlight on that relationship. And then the question remains whether or not there are other people involved. As Karen has been saying for the last three or four years, just stay tuned. We will see what happens. All right, off we go. We've got California Headline News and ABC Radio News. Craig updates us with Time Saver Traffic and Weather Together. Wendy Lewis visits the studio, followed by Sandy Boo, followed by Lance Parker, followed by Michael Dunn. We've got a lot 
And it's only Wednesday on Hometown Radio. Good to be with you. I hope you'll stick around. Craig, can you see this out the window? Can you see through there? See what? We got I, a rainbow. Oh, I cannot see it. It's a huge rainbow. Wendy, can you see it? it I can see it. It is like the most beautiful rainbow right over Dave's head. So it's highlighting how great it's, he is. Oh, you're too kind. <laughs> it's our heads. Our heads. Yeah, our it's heads. Okay. All right. I'm in a weird mood today. I got to stop the show. How long have I known you? Oh, 15 years. All right. I never knew until today that you are related to Connie O'Henley, who used to come on all the time when she was the director of the Clark Center. Yeah, isn't it a small world? I've known her like 15. Probably the best. Oh, longer. Yeah. I met her when she went to the Clark Center. So that was about the same time I shifted into nonprofit. So it's been a while. So she's your. She's Sis- my sister-in-law. So sister-in-law. She's married to my brother. I, I was on your Facebook page, and I saw the old Henley. I was like, so Connie's now up, way up. Way up north. North. Like, in, as far north as you can go. And still be in California. Mm-hmm. And how is she? Oh, they're doing great. They, that is um, where they always wanted to end up, on a big piece of property, fishing, you know, wildlife. And so they're, they're in their version of heaven. You're not going to follow them, are you? No, I don't like snow. I like it right here in Slow County. All right. Wendy Lewis is the, uh, what, what's your title? CEO? CEO, e- yeah. 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 Right. Of Echo. So I start with this story. Yesterday, I went to get my mail. I went to my eye doctor appointment. I go downtown, get my mail on Marsh Street, 9.30 in the morning. The lights are still all off. I walk in, overwhelming smell of urine. It's like, oh. Then I look down on the floor, and this poor guy, he's either asleep or passed out. Just. So I'm talking to the post office employee through my P.O. box. There's a guy here. And she, she's very nice about it. She goes, yes, we know. And we've called the authorities and they'll come by. But it's just like, it's a, it's a, it, a, the point of the story to me, Wendy, it's just a persistent reminder of the less fortunate and we're surrounded yep. by it. And it's an ongoing challenge. It's one of the community's biggest challenges. Um, our community and all throughout California and the United States. Um, the gentleman, I just hope he can get help. Be services like what Echo provides. What would the, uh, I'm assuming the police came. What would the police have done? The police most likely would have just figured out a way to get him out of the post office. Yeah. Um, they could ticket him for trespassing, but yeah. the ticket for the trespass isn't, going to do anything right and so in Atascadero we actually have our new uh, partnership with the Atascadero Police Department and what we would do in that case is we would send out it's the our team so instead of the officer who's going to come in force the our team would come out with our case manager a mental health support person and an officer from Atascadero that specifically supports getting that person help and that may what happened yesterday mm -hmm. you know that's what you hope it's just you're like, boy, I hope this person's okay. Yeah. And I've met Dave in my six years with Echo. I have met 
that person, not that specific yeah. person, but the vision of that person, and thought, is this person ever going to have the opportunity to get back into housing? What do you think? And when I first came to Echo, I wouldn't have had 100% guarantee, but they they do. If they get the right resources, I've seen some of the most fragile people in our community in Atascadero and Paso who I would have never thought just visually seeing them they would ever be back in housing and they are in housing today because of the resources Echo provides. Um, we might have had to have 50 conversations with them, shower program, dinner program, different touch points, but something at some point can change and that person can want to change. And so that's what I'm here to tell the community. You know, homelessness sometimes feels hopeless right now. And when the right resources are there, it can provide hope. Well, and you're proof of that with Echo. You had a really impressive year last year, which is why I invited you to come in today. A record year, according to the press release. It was. It was a milestone year for us. We've been operating for over 20 plus years, and we have now grown and offering more services. And this year, we were able to permanently house, not in our programs, right, in a home of their own, 201 individuals and children are back in permanent housing because of the resources ECHO provides. That's quite impressive. Congratulations and thank you. Thank you. But it leads to the second question. What about recidivism? I don't know if that's a, I think about that with criminals. I don't mean to equate homeless with criminals, but Obviously, you take people off the street and you help them, you get them into housing. But how often do they end up being homeless again? It's actually a a data point we track because it's important from a resource perspective. If we're asking for donations in order to get people back into housing, but they're falling out of housing six months later, is that the best use of a resource? But through our organization, we follow them with case management and those supports that were the key to get them into housing for at least six months after. So our percentage is 90% of the people we help back into permanent housing are still housed today. Many coming back and helping us by volunteering, by coming back and sharing their stories. 90%. 90%. It is um, a very impressive it's my you know, organization i lead but it really is an impressive number and just a lot of the data that we have at echo is why i think we have such uh, community support it, it's it's effective it's working and um, it's making a difference in a lot of people's lives can you predict if someone's going to make it no no um that you just don't know you yeah. you hope but um, you know maybe our case managers who work more directly with people have more of that intuition but you really can't I've seen stories where you know one this past year um, gentleman had a health crisis came to us and lost his housing lost his job he was in a wheelchair when he came to us physically unwell thin could barely walk he had to use the wheelchair from the time he came into the program, the 90-day program, that secret success, within months, our case manager had um, connected him to the right medical services to get him on the path to health. Once he got on the path to health, then it was on the path to employment. He was able to start a part-time job at the Mid-State Fair, right? Mm. A temporary opportunity. He was healthy enough to do that. And the fair um, noticed the quality of work he was doing during the fair. They hired him full time, and now he is 
back into permanent housing, working at the fair. That's just one example. Wasn't there a story about that? I think I read, I read a story about that. Yeah, we do on yeah. our Facebook pages, uh, yeah. Echo Shelter and Instagram. We do success stories every sun, Sunday, and Collins was one we highlighted. And you know, look at that. Someone from the pastoral community, had we not brought those resources there three and a half years ago, he might not have ever had that opportunity, and he might have ended up in the post office like the gentleman you saw. So it's really making a difference. Wendy Lewis is in studio from Echo. Let's remind folks of the website, please. So you want information, visit echoshelter.org. You can look for volunteer opportunities. You can donate. You can see these success stories if you're not on social. And you can really look at um, everything we're doing, and I encourage you to get involved. Now, we had the uh, homeless coordinator for the county on last month and uh, she reminded us that it's the point point and count point in time count point it's in time um, count. a Thank snapshot you. of homelessness that's done um in our community every two years why is it important so it's important because a lot of the funding opportunities that come from um, the federal government or the state goes off of your count. They send more resources if there's more homeless counted and so uh the count captures that um it's flawed I mean, it is a snapshot on one day in January. Volunteers go out throughout the community, but it's the best number we can get, and the county's really working hard to improve it. That's why they're on here asking for more volunteers. The better of a count we get, the more funding comes to support organizations like us and support the entire community because we want our citizens housed. And so the volunteer opportunity is um, an eye-opening one for sure. And she reinforced uh, things that you and Jenna Nichols and others have said over the years that most of the local homeless population is exactly that local. They're of the community. They're not coming by bus because of the warm weather. They're here because they're from here and they're trying their best to cope. And that is another data we we track that because we're we're asked that oh they're getting bussed in or where are these people coming from you build a new shelter and you know people are going to want to come from a different location, eighty five to ninety percent of people in our programs are from your community they're from our county they were someone you went to high school with somebody you knew through a friend a neighbor's child it is your community and that's why I encourage people to get involved. By the way, how far would you go for four thousand dollars? <laughs> Not as far as your story earlier. I I, I could not handle or have the stomach for that. I, I think I uh, would go, my husband, uh, you're on this, I'm not. But, yeah, that was such a fun story, and I'm glad I wasn't that couple. You know, if it was $400, I think I'd just let it go, right? 4000 no, I, I understand what the couple had to do. Yeah, yeah, and that, you know, they still love the dog. That was the most important part. All right, Wendy Lewis is here. We'll come back and look forward to see what Echo has plans for this year. I'm Dave Congleton. We're live, we're local. It's Hometown Radio. This is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. Sandy Boo joins us after news at the top of the hour. We're talking a little bit about health care in the county and also Sandy's family's decision to head on off to Arizona. Uh, Wendy Lewis is with us from Echo, where the website always is. Echoshelter.org. Would you call last year the most successful year? Oh, yes. In by, your tenure? By far. Okay. Um, we had the growth. We in Passaway added the 20 additional beds. So we now, um, gosh, if you look back over the last four years, 
we were at one shelter operating overnight with 50 beds. Now we are in two campuses, 130 beds offering comprehensive services. So that means you're getting case management plan, you're getting all the support from financial literacy to job placement to things for the children, reading programs, tutoring, art programs. Are the needs different though? In the time that you've been involved in this area, are the needs of the homeless people? You know, the faces are changing. Every year I see more, unfortunately, more seniors and more families with children. Um, that population is, is growing, and that's because cost of housing. Um, seniors are getting pushed out because they're on a fixed income. Someone comes in, buys the building, they raise the rent by $300 a month, and that gap, the senior can't fill and so they find themselves needing our services their case plan is going to look very different than a 25 year old who you know had a health crisis or a divorce and you know what their needs are well can we drill down on that since i'm a senior so um they're priced out of their apartment complex and you're going to help them that's wonderful but realistically what can you help them do so we help them um connect to resources uh senior housing at a low-income opportunity versus a for-profit. So someone where there's a, a HUD voucher attached to it, and we na help them navigate all of that system, right? There's wait lists, so their time and the stability they have while they're with us in our program gives them a time to potentially get on that wait list and get their their uh, name pulled for that housing. So it's also coming up with creative solutions, um, partnering two seniors together that are in the program that have uh, like interests and maybe it's finding housing together easier to get you know a unit where you could share versus one unit on your own so it's it's creative um, our case managers our entire team is just amazing at knowing all the resources and turning over every bridge to help someone back into a place of their own my future is flashing before my eyes my future well I wouldn't qualify you as senior so you called yourself senior. out I'm 70. I'm 70 wow you're just I can't you're such a great shape I can't imagine but yeah, really. if you ever need us Dave we'll be there for it for you because you've been such a partner in our work I appreciate that I may I may have to call in a few uh, chips here all right so uh, great year in 2023 which means you the the glove is being thrown down how do you top last year yeah so our, our team's excited to even do more um, this past year every time someone got housed they put their hand in blue paint and put it their hand on a success wall and we're oh, challenged like yeah oh, it's, like it's motivational it's yeah. a celebration and Good. we have little hands big hands one client even decided to put their footprint up which we love right and so we our team really wants to do more we want to uh, exceed that 201. Um, this year we're going to have orange handprints and so see the difference and layer them on top and show that when you're consistent, when you're there, you can make a difference. Is the 201 both Atascadero and Paso? Yeah. I ask because Warren, Warren Frace from Paso Robles is being interviewed down the hall by Clive Pinder for a show on Friday. Yeah, it is um, about, oh, I'd say out of the 201. A little bit more than 50% came out of Paso Robles, which is amazing because in our three years there, we've established the trust. We've established a great team in both locations, and we're able to do kind of equitable work between the two. Um, the additional 20 beds will help in Paso as well. So Paso has 70 beds, and Tascadero has 60. We have hopes. We're asked by 
areas and different people. What are you going to do next? And we have an opportunity to potentially build out in a Tascadero, so right on site. Build out. Oh, uh, you expand your present. Correct. Gotcha. So it's an efficient way to expand, right? Okay. You don't have to have an entire new staff. You just had to add few staff. It'll be a capital project, a, a complete build out, and we're in the conversations with some uh, potential donors and supporters. So that would be incredible. How do people donate to Echo, by the way? They can donate by visiting echoshelter.org. We have all the safe options on our website. You can even Venmo if that's your easier way to do it. You can find out about volunteer opportunities and just see kind of uh, the success stories. Those are really what motivates people. And I challenge someone to come out for an hour, come serve dinner, and you will see what we're doing firsthand. You will see that people are so appreciative of even that meal. That meal is that first connecting point for us. And that meal is not only helping food insecurity, but it's helping to build that trust with someone because they need to be ready for the program. And until they're ready, it's not going to be successful. How many people are you turning away, though, from your shelter? You must be having to turn people away. So we currently have a wait list of about 80 to 100. So that are people who want... Is it more? Uh, it fluctuates, but yeah. with the additional 20 beds in Paso that we just recently brought online, that's helped us reduce that. But it, that's the hardest part of, um, I think, our staff's job is someone's asking for the help, and it, we can't immediately give them that safety net of the room or the bed. But we can offer at least showers, meals, support. We can get right. you your paperwork all ready for housing yeah. even before you're in the program. You're still able to access case management. And it's not just Echo, the different throughout the county. What happens to the people who can't get in at night? Where do they go? That is the million dollar question. It's there's on, not they're, enough. They're, they're on their own. There, There's not enough shelter beds. There are, and the count will really show what that gap is. That's another um, benefit of the count. So between all the homeless service organizations and the domestic violence, probably have about 400 beds and the last count was 1,500 people. So that's your gap, right? And we're there. Repeat that, please. So there's about 400 beds available, um, different type of shelter options in our community. And the last count was about 1,500 people who need those beds. So there's a gap, and that's why ECHO as an organization is trying to effectively grow to add more resources to, to do more, but keep the quality. We don't want to lose the quality. And in our program, when you come into our 90-day program, you have between a 50 and 60% chance to be successful. Traditional shelters, if you have 10% success rate, you're considered successful. Wendy Lewis on this broadcast from Echo, where the website always is. Echoshelter.org. Always need donations, always need volunteers uh, just to support this great organization. But yet, every time you come in, I ask you the same question. Your program in Paso Robles, by any measure, is so successful. Why aren't we converting more of these old motels into projects like Paso Robles? I think it goes back I mean, to a lot of the red tape, a lot of the government. Um, California is trying to do more, but here we're facing this giant deficit. So it's a successful model, and I, I hope there's more opportunities for those type of successful models. On the Stolberg text line, a two-part question one, what is kind of echoes what I just asked. Can we get a Motel 6-like facility in each supervisor's district? I think it would have a positive impact on that community. What would that take? That would take um, funding. It would take property. Um, it would take uh, an organization that has bandwidth to take it on. It would have to be 
supported by that community. It has to, there's a location is the biggest thing always. Where do you put that? Is it going to be in my backyard and that kind of tug of war between the services are needed, but where it's needed? In our neighborhood in Paso, if you had ever driven through that neighborhood before we uh, had that project with our partners at Haslow and People Self Help Housing, there would be activity that, um, you know, just might not have been the best for that corridor. And our what we've done there has really made that corridor a, a nicer place. Yeah. The neighborhood is nicer. We should be doing this more. I, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, 400 versus 1,500. Well, that's a second part. And this is a case I've talked about. Uh, you probably aren't familiar with this, Wendy, but right over here at the Barrigold Center, the big shopping center, mm-hmm. every day there's a guy. Apparently his name is Jeremy. He just sits there. Even in the rain, he's got an umbrella. He's got his cart. I don't know what happens at night. But every day he's there. You know, Dave, in every community, there is a Jeremy. Yeah. And it might not be that name, but it, it goes to, uh, you know, that person's trauma, where they came from, what, what they're experiencing. I can't speak to Jeremy, but I can speak to when our outreach teams go out. They start those, with those conversations, like, what can I do for you today? And that person might not be ready for our program, but even a water bottle is that first way to make that connection mm. and to help Jeremy be ready to do something different. So, I mean, at Tascadero, there's someone just popped into my mind, Paso, there, it's just what that person's journey is. Yeah, but, and I know, hey, Dave, why don't you just pull over and help the guy, you know? <laughs> but it's like, he's just there. It's like the guy in the post office. And you're doing such a fantastic job, but there are two-thirds of the people in need aren't getting the help that they need. Yeah, that's why we expanded our outreach program. That is a way to reach those people and, and break down barriers. You know, Before Echo grew and, and um, added that to our team, you would physically have to get yourself to a Tascadero, to the one location. Now you have two options, but we're also going out. We're looking for you. But the bottom line is if Jeremy doesn't want any help, that's just the way of the world. It's the way of the if world. If he wants to sit there, as long as he's not causing trouble, which it's, he's not. It's not. And he you, just sits there. And I would encourage people just to go and say hi to Jeremy. Go just humanize. If, if he's feeling disconnected from the community, bring him into the community. Have a conversation. Say hi. He might not ever be ready, but one conversation might change his outlook and send him in a direction that he wants help. Wendy Lewis, congratulations on 2023 and good luck in 2024. One last time on the website, please. The website is echoshelter.org and happy new year to everybody and you, Dave. Uh, thank you. Anything else you want to say in closing? Just want to thank the community and our hardworking team. Um, we would not be able to provide these life-changing resources without the support we get. So I'm just incredibly grateful for people's commitment to our work and thank you for all your support on the text line we actually have about 20 regulars in Tascadero that are on freeway exits there's a pile of trash uh, with numerous signs that they walk up to and which sign they're going to hold for today to be continued all right wendy thank you The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.